Hello and welcome to uh, episode 13 of The Hidden Things and Hidden Things uh, concerning chapter 10 featuring uh, Fagos. Hello, how are we doing today? All right, so we uh, we had a little uh, bit of, uh, we had our first bargaining episode, a little, our little first bargaining scene, our first deal making uh, with Calliope. It wasn't very long after I started this section I think I was about two or three chapters past this point when I, I think when you're writing things, you start to kind of think about what you're doing when you're this far into the story. And I started to think about what was happening and like sort of trying to figure out what all was going on. And it was somewhere in here that I thought to myself that in some ways this was starting to echo sort of the stages of grief. This was my, that was my first thought of this. This was November something, 2002. And I thought to myself, I, I should go back and see if there's a way I can sort of emphasize that a little bit and see if that would work. And I went back and looked and realized that I was already doing that and I should just shut up and not think so much and just write the goddamn thing. So that's what I did. Um, and, and as a result, we have scenes like this. So we, we meet Phagos. I think Phagos may be the real bad guy in this story. Mikey's not good, certainly. He is a, he is certainly a monster and has done reprehensible things in the past and in the present. But when it comes to something that is, you know, kind of inarguably the bad guy in the story, I think that's probably Phagos. Although, again, as much as I try to, you know, as much as I am able to, I try to remember that nobody really thinks of themselves as the bad guy even if they are the bad guy. So Fagus can see that, knows that people don't like him and that they don't think very highly of him. But um, if he were put to the question, somewhere in the back of his mind, he thinks that what he's doing is the best thing. If nothing else for himself, but that he could probably certainly come up with some sort of justification how it's how what he wants and what he's going to do ultimately is the best option in a series of bad options. So that's, that's sort of Fagos in a nutshell. He was also, um, his, him and his little paired up guy are a little nod toward, oh, a number of sort of evil pairs that have inspired me over the years, Mr. Croup and Mr. Vandermar from uh, Neverwhere and a couple of other ones. I needed, I wanted a name that would work for both of them. And by taking the Greek word, Coprophagos, which basically means shit eater. Um, that that's where we uh, come to all this. I, I take a great amount of glee in explaining to groups of high school students when I'm talking about writing and stuff like that. How if you do a little bit of research, you're able to you know call important characters in your book shit eater, and nobody gets mad at you because you just have to you know make it be in some ancient language. And also break it up between two different people who apparently share a brain and sentience. Anyway. So is this the only on-screen violence that occurs in the story that isn't initiated in some way, shape, or form by Calliope? No. No. Walker gets to be violent later. He, um, he pulls out a little bit of violence out of his pocket. So. But this is the... This is the first time. Yes, this is the you're right. yes, yes. This is the first time that somebody initiates some beatdown and it isn't Calliope starting it. Phagos comes in. And to be fair, he's very, very good at it. So 
Um, and, and that was kind of part of it. I think Fagos, aside from being the bad guy, is also the scariest dude on stage and will continue to be the scariest dude on stage for basically the whole story, with the exception of one particular being that we will meet later, um, who is then as, as much as Fagos is above everybody that we, everybody else in the story, I think, um, there's another little critter in the story that's that much further above Fagos. So, which is why he wants it, precious. This is sort of Gollum. Yeah. A really old kind of dry, desiccated Gollum in a, um, 1930s jazz man suit with better, with better enunciation. Calliope is all about little gestures that, you know, maybe the only gesture she can make, but she still manages to make them like pulling the chair to her and turning it around and sitting on it backwards. And maybe that was the only thing that she was able to do, but she was able to do it. And that little thing, that little fly in the ointment, she, she is really good at flies in the ointment, sand in the gears, nothing that's going to substantially change anything, but enough that's going to annoy people that she can't otherwise affect. Would Fagos have expected that? No, I think it surprised Fagos. It's, and you can see that in the way that Copra reacts to it. He starts to do something about it before Fagos is able to tell him not to. And if they had expected that sort of resistance from her, neither of them would have reacted. After the fact, Fagos will be able to justify any number of ways why she was able to do that. Oh, she was, she was called, you know, to be part of this mission and she would have she has to have been special in some pedestrian way therefore it makes you know he could he could justify it but he didn't expect it and it does interject just as and there's other and that actually there's a reason for that there to a certain extent because she's also proposing something that while a small little thing, while a small bit of resistance is going to completely throw Fagos's plans awry, which is, I can always just choose to die right here. And she has proven with the chair thing that at least in theory, you know, projecting that forward, she's capable of making that choice. He's not going to be able to bully her into, either out of fear or through sheer force of will, he's not going to be able to bully in, her into agreeing to this. And push comes to shove, she will throw herself off a cliff rather than give in. Um, he, she may not succeed, but he believes that she would try. And he believes, now given this evidence, that there's a possibility she, she could succeed, which would really throw a monkey wrench in, in all of his machinations. Why does he recite the poem to her? Um, I don't know. I don't know why he's saying the poem. I don't know why the poem is at the beginning of the story. Uh, no, that's not true. Um, the poem, to a certain extent, if you look at it, there's a lot of that poem there that tells you what's going on in the story. Um, you know, the, the hero is dead and over him shrieks the, the something of the grave, whatever that monster of the grave, whatever it is. That's, that's Mikey, you know, screaming his rage over dead Josh's body and Calliope is there and you know, it's 
it, it's, you know, when I was sort of fishing around and thinking, I want this, I had this character in my mind and this is her name. And I, I saw this thing that, that gave me a certain amount of direction. Fagos recites it because he needs, I needed him to know, to have something that he would say that would seem sufficiently, how should I put this? He's doing something extremely violent at that moment. He is tearing the hell out of this thing. And I needed something in contrast to that, that was very sophisticated and calm and completely normal or, you know, you know, very much, you know, Victorian sitting room. And that was this, it just, it just automatically went to that. Also, it is slightly meta because Fago sees the big picture. He's one of those people who can. And more to the point, he, I mean, he would say it and Vicus would immediately understand the whole thing and go, yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And he wouldn't really care. But Vicus could have said that poem, could have recited it and would have known the meanings of it. He just chooses not to because he doesn't want to screw up everything that's going on with Calliope. Vicus doesn't, or Fagos doesn't care if he screws everything up. So he's kind of pointing to the fourth wall and winking. Uh, because he doesn't care if the, if he screws up, if he gets somebody to do a spit take by accident and, you know, if he, if he screws every, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't care because he's Fagos and he just doesn't. So he's kind of calling attention to the whole meta thing that's going on here with Cliope's quest and everything, just because he can, just to show that he doesn't have to, you know, play by the rules. I don't, I, you know, I don't think it's a binding thing. And the name binding thing does come up which, you know, those of you who've read the book certainly know. Um, the, the name binding thing does come up later with the dragon. Um, but that's not what, I don't think that's what's going on here. It's an, it's not a, a, an assertion of power. He's doing enough of that by just tearing the place to pieces and killing uh, Vicus. He is, he's just pointing out how damned smart he is. He, he's, He's walking in and he's just got to announce, I am, he's got to announce, I am the smartest man in the room. And that's sort of his thing. There isn't a, there isn't a magic to it. Fagos, let me think about this for a second. Yeah. Fagos is beyond the point where he needs to say things. Vicus isn't, yeah, Vicus isn't, Vicus is good. Vicus is very good, but he's not at this guy's, he's not in this guy's league. He does not have sufficient Kung Fu for this, for this showdown. So next time we're in chapter, we went through a whole chapter in one take. That's two times in a row. Oh my gosh. And this time, next time coming up, we uh, are starting in on chapter 11. So there's what's going on. Chapter 11 road trips and karaoke bars and retired satyrs and snowstorms in the mountains and gas stations and in i don't know what else in chapter 11 it's very long though so we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time there uh so that's what's coming up next so we will see you then